Dear friends, there is a tide in the affairs of men, which, taken at the flood, leads on to fortune. I believe the tide has now come for us to take. The tide is Kevin McKernan's discovery of plasmid DNA contaminating RNA injectables. Because the DNA is packaged within lipid nanoparticles, the implications of the discovery are truly earth-shaking. Cellular uptake of the bacterial mini-chromosomes is pre-programmed, and this immediately equates with alteration of the genome, with nightmarish possible and probable consequences. Our key message to the world must be that the WHO is on the verge of procuring the right and the power of genetically modifying humans at will. This should awaken those who are still asleep and convince them to join us in our endeavor to counter this satanic agenda. Bless you all for your selfless commitment to the welfare of mankind. Who is that? And what was his message? You're going to learn about that in our discussion. I'd like to welcome all of you to the Progressive Commentary Hour. I'm Gary Nall. The theme is separating the truth from fiction, separating those who are highly motivated to try to help their patients, no matter what the outcome, trying to allow them a chance to live using whatever techniques, whatever resources, whatever tools they have as physicians versus the official protocol from Anthony Fauci and the National Institutes of Health, the FDA, the CDC, the World Health Organizations, who have all joined together to say there's only one truth, only one protocol, only one reality when it comes to COVID, and that is our truth. Okay, and the world listened, and governments everywhere complied. At what cost? To discuss this is one of Canada's foremost respected physicians, but he's also now being forced into being an activist, something the average physician is not. In fact, of the 900,000 more or less physicians in the United States, the millions of nurses, tens of thousands of pharmacists, how many can you name who've gone out publicly on any form and said, with all due respect, I have a different understanding of COVID and what would work in protecting people, better understanding it. Do we need the mask? Do we need the do we need to be restricted in our movements? Do we need to know about what we should be doing to build up our immune system? Can I use my existing medicines that have helped with similar situations and symptoms, or must I rely exclusively upon the government? The vast majority have been silent. So they're not activists. I will not go further than that because I want my guest to discuss this in length. He is Dr. Mark Trozzi, T-R-O-Z-Z-I. He's a Canadian physician, board certified, who's been practicing emergency medicine and trauma medicine for over 30 years. He sits on the steering committee for the World Council for Health, which has been at the forefront of establishing a plan where they can challenge the official COVID-19 narrative on real independent scientific grounds and has been an activist with various Canadian organizations such as Vaccine Choice Canada and Justice for the Vaccinated. Mark is a graduate of the University of Western Ontario Medical School. He's held positions at several institutions, including Queen's University, highly respected. So he has an academic background, a scientific background, a medical background, and now an activist background. His website is Dr. That's Dr. Trozzi, T R O Z Z I dot org. D R T R O Z Z I. And by the way, he has a very thorough library of short and long videos addressing issues related to COVID. It's nice to have you with us today. Well, thanks, Gary. It's such a tremendous pleasure to meet you and to have a chance to, to speak with you and, and your audience. So thank you very much. 
I'd like to begin by understanding the clip we just heard. It's just a one-minute clip from a Dr. Sakardi Bhakadi, and that's B-H-A-K-D-I. He is uh, he's lived his whole adult life in Germany, and uh, he had a major background. He's published over 300 peer-reviewed scientific journal papers, a professor, one of the most distinguished scientists at the Max Planck Institute, and the Max Planck Institute is one of the most respected scientific institutes in the world. Uh, he has been a physician for over 50 years. Uh, his wife is also a scientist, and he's been an active scientist, physician, and now he's an activist. In fact, he was the one that the uh, ruler of Thailand had a daughter who developed side effects after taking the COVID vaccine, and he went to Thailand and worked with her. I don't know the outcome yet, but I'm having a long to discuss it. Anyhow, he was one of the very first people in the world to talk about the dire risks of Pfizer's modified RNA vaccine that very few people are speaking about. You've spoken about it. And uh, he also uh, was against the COVID-19 rollout. He says, do not bring this out. You're going to have devastating side effects. This is all three and a half years ago. Well, now it's shown that he was not clairvoyant, but he was accurate. Everything he said be happening has, and the worst is yet to come. And I want you to talk about what he was discussing, because he was warning about the DNA in the RNA vaccine and what that could do to your DNA. In effect, uh, he's saying you can have your whole body chemistry suddenly revolting against itself with autoimmune reactions if you can't turn off the spike protein manufacturing. And we were told with certainty, you get this in your deltoid muscle, it'll stay there, it'll signal the body to create some antibodies and spike proteins, and uh, this is your protection. Well, they were wrong. It went to every cell in the body, passed the blood-brain barrier, went into the placenta, went into the reproductive system, went into men's sperm, and with devastating effects. I don't believe, like some, that it was intended to cause um, global depopulation. I think that that's completely wrong. I believe that there are those who want depopulation, like oh, Klaus Schwab, Carmi uh, Harari, and uh, Bill Gates, but a different approach, a different, you know, like with the death panels and using the cost of what it keep uh, to keep a person alive for an extra three months. And Bill Gates says, well, we could use that and let the person die. They've had their life. Why spend all that money on them when that money should go to, you know, hiring teachers? What a foolish argument. Since when did saving a life and paying a teacher suddenly become a conflict, one or the other? Instead, I believe that what we're seeing now is an overarching phenomena of iatrogenesis or medically induced damage and death from the unintended consequences of bad science. Now, I'm a scientist, been a scientist for a long time, made a lot of major discoveries. And there's one rule in science. First, before you tell the public you have something new and important that could help them, first, disprove yourself. Try to figure out what you did wrong, could go wrong. And then have others do the same. Get your ego out of the way. Get your special interests out of the way. Your desire for Nobel Prize out of the way. And say to someone of a peer standing, I believe I've made a mistake, but I can't find it. Could you please go through my work and show me where I'm wrong? But we don't do that. We want the big reward, the golden ring. We want the Nobel Prize and the headlines. And they got that. But they were wrong about everything. And now we're suffering. That's my opinion. Now, I'd like to turn this over to you because I'd like for you to discuss, take as much time as you want. I will not interrupt you. I want you to discuss what he was saying in that short clip about what we're now finding for the first time. And you did a short clip about six minutes that uh, discussed this finding. And then also the fact that everyone thought in scientists, physicians, and pharmacists, they were using just the regular RNA in the vaccines. They weren't. This was a modified RNA. We have never in the history used a modified RNA with self-organizing nanolipid particles um, as part of the process of getting it into cells and having it adhere, et cetera, in the landing sites. And now those same self-organizing nanoparticulate lipids are then creating long, stringy, rubber-like uh, blockages in arteries and veins. And science didn't discover that. Physicians didn't discover it. The manufacturers didn't discover it. Morticians discovered it. Thousands of morticians are now can't put embalming fluid in. They have to take tweezers and pull out all of these look like bunches of rubber bands. And not a single media 
has done a story on it. Not a single person within the government has done anything. No one from the manufacturers has said anything about this. This is the unintended consequences. Yet they knew from the beginning there were problems. You entered the story. I'd like for you to tell us what he is saying and why it's so important and why we believe. And I, I said this three years ago. You don't give a person who has a severe autoimmune, you don't give them any treatment, including vaccines, that can stimulate additional additional autoimmune reactions because they're going to break down their organs. They're going to die from that. That's exactly what we saw. They were wrong on every level. This is the worst science I've ever seen in American history. Those are my thoughts. The forum is yours to share yours. Well, thanks, Gary. Um, yeah, I certainly I certainly uh, agree with with what you're saying. And um, and Dr. Bhakti, who I've, I've really had the honor of becoming a friend of his over the last few years because, you know, we've been brought together in this process. And maybe before I, I jump into the, the finding of large volumes of intact DNA in these injections, which is, is sort of like another red line that was crossed. I think there's been red lines since since before this was even unleashed. And um, I'm not a virologist, I'm an emergency doctor, but, you know, being on that proverbial front line in 2020, when the hospitals were empty and the media said the hospitals were full, when very few people died with COVID and there were very few actual cases, um, but the PCR test was driving fear and there was a lot of fraud committed on, on death certificates all around the world, um, which we have more information from a meeting I was in last night that will be coming out. Um, so back then it, it, it drove me, um, to do a lot of research. I mean, the hospital was empty. We had lots of time and I did a lot of research and some things that stood out in terms of the very early red lines about this coronavirus injection, not just the fact that we were beginning very trumped up modeling from this Chris Ferguson, who's, who's, a, you know, sort of a chronic fraudster that the WHO has used before, but the history of even normal antigen-based vaccines for coronavirus, the history of that experiment in animals was a devastating uh, finding, which was that you could give them in these injections, you could stimulate antibodies, but then when you actually expose them to disease, those antibodies actually help the coronavirus infect and kill the animal, a process called antibody-dependent enhancement that we understand quite well. And, and so coronavirus vaccines were sort of abandoned when you had animals, depending on the species, having a mortality rate of between 20 and 100% from really a cold. Um, so that was the early coronavirus research. And then the other thing that was a, was a red light for me was, you know, they were releasing these injections, which were, they weren't vaccines, it was genetic material, and they were putting them in these pegylated nanoparticles. So pegylated nanoparticles, when you look at the pre-existing research before this was done to people, uh, pegylated nanoparticles, that's their purpose is to go everywhere. Like that's what they're meant to do. They were used for brain research. Now there was a lot of problems with them and they turned out to be quite toxic as we see now. But the idea that you know, they said, well, we called it a vaccine. And so because we called it a vaccine, therefore it's going to behave like a vaccine. I mean, that is the most twisted science I've ever heard. And, and then they pretended that they were shocked when it didn't stay in the injection site and go to the lympho, local lymph nodes. But that's, that's preposterous because the history of pegylated nanoparticles is it's a way to get something everywhere, even through the placenta into the unborn child, even to the unborn child's brain, ovaries, etc. So the biodistribution wasn't a surprise, but they pretended it was a surprise. Seems someone like someone who shot somebody with a gun and then said, Oh my God, I didn't know it would do that. So that was some of the, you know, the early concerns. And then even again, pre-existing research with mRNA technologies, there's only ever been two studies in human beings using mRNA before COVID. One was as a vaccine attempt and one was as another treatment. A total of 385 humans were ever injected with a like with an mRNA treatment in an experiment. They were dramatic failures. Uh, one resulted in great side effects. The other resulted in more infections rather than less. Um, and so the idea that after that and everything else I just mentioned, that they would, you know, push for this emergency use authorization and attempt to give these injections 
to 8 billion humans and, and basically force it on people. And they've succeeded, we think, in giving it to about 6 billion people. And we now have record death, record disability, record disease, things we've never seen before when you, when you look at the real data from around the world. So all of that was really the background. And But nonetheless, they released this thing and called it a vaccine. And in the case of Pfizer and Moderna, they put, they said, messenger RNA into pegylated nanoparticles and said, yeah, it will just briefly cause your body to make some spike protein and that'll vaccinate you as if you had um, a vaccine with uh, a spike protein. Which, of course, as we said, we already knew that would be a disaster because of the nature of coronaviruses, the rate of evolution of their spike proteins. And the uh, the other thing that's interesting about that is a normal vaccine, which I, I that's a whole other debate. Um, but an, a, a regular vaccine has maybe eighty to two or three hundred particles of the thing that you're vaccinated against, like a damaged virus or pieces of a broken up virus. This thing, if you look at the mass and and you look at if it if it was the RNA that they claimed was there, it would deliver forty trillion copies of this highly persistent messenger RNA with the substituted ribonucleic acids, as you mentioned, Gary, to make it hyper persistent. Um, so again, wow, wow, 40 trillion copies of a piece of genetic material that can be read over and over and over and have the body continue to produce a spike protein, which again, pre-existing research, we knew spike protein in and of itself is a poison. There's been animal experiments. You can just expose hamsters to a little inhalation of it and they develop a profound lung disease. So that, again, this was all existing before we get to this most recent red line that you asked about. But we crossed a few other red lines in between as well, which is, well, it turns out that people didn't just make spike protein for a little while. They've been making it for a long time. Um, blood levels are persisting long beyond anticipated. And so we thought, wow, is it because of this subject uh, nucleic acid? that the mRNA persists, perhaps? Is it because it's actually being reverse transcribed into the person's genome? In other words, is this messenger RNA actually being translated backwards and modifying the person's own genetic structure to continually make it? And we know from experiments on liver cells that, yeah, that, that does happen, at least in some human cells, how much we don't know. Um, but then we had this most recent big revelation. And I mean, already that and, and I think any sane opinion, the injection should have never been launched. The injection should have been stopped multiple times as multiple red lines were crossed. But anyways, quite coincidentally, uh, a, a neat fellow named Kevin Kernan, who's a scientist in the US, and, and he got some sequencing equipment and he was actually wanting to um, really to just sort of uh, familiarize his team with this equipment. And so he put out a word, said, hey, I'd like some standardized messenger RNA. He wasn't asking for any specifically. Well, somebody thought, well, hey, messenger RNA, that's what's in the uh, these COVID injections of Pfizer and Moderna. So someone delivered him a package with, I believe, eight vials, but I could be wrong, eight vials of each. So anyways, he began the process of sequencing them. And what he discovered was shocking. And that was that about, depending on the one, you know, but approximately 35% of the genetic material in the injections was not RNA, it was DNA. And that included these DNA plasmids. And what a DNA plasmid is, is a, uh, I know you, I know, you know, Gary, but just for the audience, it's, it's a, it's a piece of DNA that instead of being in a straight line is formed into a circle. And this is used in the manufacturing of these of these uh, vaccines, I, I hate to use the word vaccine because I don't consider it a vaccine. But in these injections, and the what what that how they do that is they take these DNA plasmids, which infect E. coli bacteria, like the E. coli bacteria that live in our digestive tract, and then these E. coli bacteria reproduce in a vat, and you get lots of E. coli bacteria, which contain copies of this copied uh, DNA plasmid, and then the the E. coli are harvested. The DNA plasmids are harvested from them. They're then what they call delinearized and sort of cut so they're no longer a circle of genetic code. They're a line again. And then using that as a template, they manufacture the messenger RNA because that's what messenger RNA does. It takes a message from our nucleus. It, it assembles a messenger RNA molecule that matches a, a, a section of our chromosome signal and brings that out to the nucleus as the template to manufacture a protein. But 
what was found was that again, 35% was DNA, including this completely intact DNA plasmids. Now, when you look at the sequences in those DNA plasmids, okay, there was one obvious one, which was the sequence for the manufacturing of this poisonous protein called the spike protein. There were three other sequences. One was used to make the bacteria resistant to a group of antibiotics, which could then be used in the manufacturing to kill the bacteria that didn't take in the DNA. And then there was another sequence, which was a promoter sequence, which you know helps to enhance the rate at which one's own body or one's ribosomes read and, and make these spike proteins off this message. Uh, but it also carries the risk of enhancing the rate at which the RNA could have been transcribed backwards, or the DNA in this case could be incorporated in the human genome. And then in the case of Pfizer, there was a fourth sequence, um, which uh, is from the simian virus, and that will probably tweak the ears of people who are aware of the, the uh, villainous actions of Anthony Fauci through the AIDS era. So one of his tools has come back, genetic sequences used to hurt people. And, uh, and this, again, is a very concerning sequence because it's quite well known to promote cancer. So that's the line that was crossed about, oh, three or four months ago. I published a little video, just there's lots of DNA in the RNA shots. And what are the implications? So, I mean, a huge implication is that uh, the amount, 35%, I mean, that's not a small contamination. And I find it very hard to think that that's just an accident and nobody tested their vials and knew what was in it. So this introduces the strong capacity to permanently, as Dr. Bhakti said, to permanently genetically modify people without their either their desire or even their knowledge. And so this may be Maybe this is a more dominant reason why you see people who just keep producing the spike protein, um, which, of course, poisons them, triggers the autoimmune response, which is what's got the athletes collapsing and triggers the, the vascular problems, forming all these bizarre blood clots. So um, that I think that's that's where we're at. And of course, we're shocked that even with this latest revelation that it's being completely ignored um, by medical regulators, by governments. And by the people that continue to promote this this injection, which you know has no benefit whatsoever, we just we just published uh, Christoph Plota and myself just published a, a video looking at the recent studies of efficacy, and and so we said, well, okay, let, what if we set aside the mountain of death and adverse events? So we set aside the you know two and a half mil million injured Americans, the minimum three hundred thousand Americans already dead, the all the data the autopsy, if we set aside all the ways that this, the, all the side effects of these injections, what if we just look at what they're intended to do? Like, how are they working? I mean, I know it sounds almost silly, but we did. We said, let's just look at the recent data. How are they working? Well, guess what? I think you know, the more shots you take, the more likely you are to get really sick with COVID. There's a linear relationship, you know, based on Cleveland study. It turns out that the Amish who didn't do any of this stuff, the muzzles, the social isolation, the abuse of their children, the locking up of schools and churches, and they certainly didn't take these injections. They used nutrients, they used ivermectin if they wished, and uh, they had like approximately zero death. Like they're 90 times less likely to have died from COVID than the rest of us who went along with this stuff. So that's a bit of uh, sort of an update of my perspective on the field, Gary. Thank you. I appreciate the overview. Go a little further into this. There is a standard of how much of a toxic reaction substance is allowed in the body. So when you look at that study by the federal government, one of its agencies, and then look how much was actually in the vaccine, it's thousands of times more, not just 2% or 10%, but thousands of percent more. And yet the government had something clearly, objectively toxic at a level we've never seen before and encourage people still to take it. Tell us about that, please. Well, that's 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 so true, Gary. That's what's shocking is is that this is still being pushed. And I mean, I can understand that, you know, like the, the media is so corrupt. It's such a refreshing to, to be working with you and your team here because there is real media in the world, but there's a giant uh, cancer of fake media that control most of the old media institutions. And so they tell people things that are completely wrong, like this is a safe, effective vaccine and we all got to do our part and protect your grandma by don't hug her and take this shot. But it's hard to, it's hard to accept. Um, in fact, I think it's unreasonable to accept that people like 
you know, ministers of health in Canada, like doctors who are the head of regulatory bodies, you know, the heads of, of your health agencies in the United States. It's hard to believe that those people just watch like CNN and CBC and like just believe it and they don't read stuff. I mean, that would be completely negligent. You know, even again, going back before these discoveries, when Pfizer released their first six month clinical data, which all of these officials, therefore, and I think they had a responsibility. I mean, this is the first clinical trials in human beings that were ever available. And here this is being pushed on the entire global population. I read it. I'm not the minister of health, but I read it. And the results were shocking. 3% of the people in this study were dead within a few months of the injection. 28% were disabled at the end of the experiment, either permanently or ongoing, whatever that means. Approximately 100% of the women who took the injection on whom they reported aborted the baby. I mean, it killed the baby. And this is Pfizer's own documents. This was available in March of 2021. So how on earth is it possible that these completely negligent and in my opinion, criminal people that are still pushing this stuff, how, how can they do that? And to boot, I know you have the same situation in Canada. I'm friends with a lot of FLCCC doctors and Dr. McCall and others who've been in this situation, but how can it be that here in Canada as well, the medical regulators are still trying to destroy the careers of myself and all the other good doctors, that small percentage, but significant number of doctors who've done the right thing about this the whole time. They're, they're completely unrepentant. They're trying to bury the science. And even in our proceedings with them in, in hearings and things, they do everything they can to keep real science off the table. I came up with a term. I would call you, McCullough, Cole, all of them, Merrick, all the hundreds of outstanding physicians in normal practice, but really courageous because you knew from looking at other examples of people who lost their careers, the state or federal medical boards came in and claimed that they were giving disinformation to their patients. I created this term. You represent the stem cell of truth in medicine and science. And you know what that means, that in your cell, for example, if you have cancer, if you don't get out the stem cell, it'll grow back again. And uh, But it's also the stem cell, differentiated or non-differentiated, that determines you know how you grow. And we want, as we grow older, we want more stem cells and or youthful stem cells repair it. So you're, you're the stem cell that is not going to shut up. You're the you're the progenitor of truth. So they got to get all of you. They can't let any of you exist because if only one of you is left standing and practicing medicine, then you represent a threat because you're not going to stop talking about the truth. You can't. Now you're hardwired into looking for the truth right before you didn't. For example, this warning that he gave us at the beginning of this program about the presence of DNA and DNA plasmids in particular is something that you've looked into now. But no doctor in the world knew that there was DNA in these vaccines because it's not on the ingredient list, all right? So it must then have been a stealth ingredient that somehow they didn't know was in there. I'm giving them benefit of a doubt. Unless I have proof that they knowingly put this in there, I'll simply say that it is one of the unintended consequences of not deconstructing your own arguments before you make them uh, 100% gold standard and find out later you created a scientific alchemy. You turn gold into lead. That's what they did. And now we're suffering consequences. But in one of the studies by one of the federal agencies, when it was comparing how much of this DNA or any DNA you're allowed to have in a particular situation, the amount that was toxic or represented a danger was astronomical. And But that's exactly what is going into every single vaccine. So no two people's biochemistry will react the same. But when you start putting something that isn't just going to be picked up by the lymphatic system and taken out of the system or taken out of the blood and urine or sweat, it's going to stay there. And now based upon those self-organizing nanoparticles and how this uh, modified DNA, uh, RNA, which does not act like normal RNA. Normal RNA will dissipate out of the body in a vaccine very shortly. Modified doesn't. And yet 
We've been talking as if there's only one RNA. People and scientists and doctors and chemists have not been told, no, there is this, we created this RNA. This is a modified RNA. So don't look at it like a normal RNA. And yet we were. And people thought they're not scientists. They don't have backgrounds in genetics. They thought, oh, it couldn't be bad. They would have tested it. They didn't test this. In fact, in, in animal studies, as many as 100% of the rats in one study died. And all this we now know because they knew it at the beginning. Therefore, they're guilty of malice aforethought. Therefore, their so-called indemnification, well, you can't sue me. Yeah, we can. And we are. And you can't hold us accountable. Yes, we'll create a new Nuremberg, as we did in 1947, 6 and 7. Yeah, we, we will. We'll hold you accountable. But right now, they control the military. The, they control the medical they control the inner, they control everything because it's not a doctor in a hospital. It is not a chemist in a pharmacy. It is the corporate interest behind everyone that controls the shares of stock and therefore the policies and practices of every corporation in America, every major corporation. They own everything between BlackRock, Vanguard, Fidelity, Berkshire Hathaway, and State Street. They control tens of trillions of dollars in assets. Now, they don't own it. They control it. So your hedge, your your retirement fund is frequently what they use. Now, they make their profit off that, but then they control the corporations. They're not in it to bankrupt a corporation. They're in it to profit. They know ahead of everyone else what's happening. So if Corporation A, if pharmaceutical company A has a problem, they also can shift in plenty of time and not be held accountable for insider trading over to Corporation B, so they don't lose any money. You do. You know, your 401k goes down. You can lose your home. You can't pay your debt. They profit off everyone, including they've controlled Pfizer stock. They control Moderna stock. They control the network stock. So it doesn't matter what television program you turn on, they control it. Now, people will deny that that's not true, but there's self-censorship. Are you going to expose a company that represents 80% of your income and pays your salary? I doubt it. So this is what we have at hospital associations. Yeah. Why does it cost an average birth, average person in the United States in the hospital, $37,200? Because the people that own the hospital charge for everything. It's not the individual doctor. They're not making all that money or nurse or administrator. It's the equity partners behind us. So we've been looking at the wrong place. We've been looking at Anthony Fauci and Collins, U.S. Public Health Service, and, and Walensky and some others. They are only the representatives of those in power. They're the ones who have control over money to spend and who gets a form and who gets on television, but they don't own it. Bigger, more powerful people that the average person has no knowledge of controls everything. So when someone sees that you've got thousands of times, not percentage, times of a toxicoid in a product, and you still allow it, and no one in the media talks about it, why is that allowed to exist? Someone in power had to say, don't make that an issue. Someone had to say, don't allow anyone who's been vaccine damaged on CNN, NPR, PBS, 60 Minutes, don't allow a special to be done showing you how many millions of Americans are permanently injured or seriously injured. And don't do anything about what we didn't know then, but we know now that tens of millions of Americans have biological ticking time bombs that could go off. How many young people have we seen 1,800% in one year drop dead? Soccer players dropping dead. Soccer players don't drop dead. They've never dropped dead. Top-of-the-line basketball players, unless they're using cocaine or something like that. We're talking about healthy people who have nothing in their lifestyle that would have caused myocarditis. And yet not a single broadcast on any of this. Not a single broadcast on med medical doctors, nurses who took the vaccines and dropped dead, including in Canada. Not a single broadcast showing you the doctors like yourself and at least 500 others who have had their licenses suspended or gotten thrown out of their practice and now have no other income. Why not interview these people? Why not allow them to debate? Why not have you on to debate, you know, Fauci or someone? You mentioned earlier on the fraud of the PCR test. Well, a close friend of mine, professional friend, was the man who won the Nobel Prize for discovering it, Kerry Mullis. I did an hour and 54-minute filmed interview 
back in 1996. Now, someone found that on my YouTube channel. And when COVID came along, talking about the PCR test, that he said, don't do it beyond 13 amplifications, which is billions of amplifications in real reality. He said, otherwise, you're just looking at junk, cellular junk. You don't know what it's there and don't use it in diagnosis. So he said he wanted to debate Anthony Fauci back on AIDS at the University of South Carolina. And Fauci refused. He's, Fauci's an idiot. He doesn't know anything. And I believe that. Well, that went viral. Millions of people got to see that because people were using it in documentaries. And and, uh, and it's it's a good a comment on what he had to say because he was honest, brutally honest. And uh, But why don't you have Fauci at that time debate, you know, debate someone who'd been around as long as he had and was smarter than him, Kerry Mullis. You never see the debates. All you see are panels of so-called experts condemning ivermectin, condemning you, condemning those who didn't want to get vaccinated, Howard Stern and others, night, late night comedians who are never funny, and they're not even ironic, um, talking about how um, if there's two people who have a heart attack, one should be allowed who's vaccinated to go into the hospital, the other can die. When I watched that, I thought, what's going on in their mind? You've just created a vaccine apartheid state in the United States and around the world. That's what we're faced with. So go back again, and because you cited it in your six-minute clip about how toxic an ingredient was in the vaccines that they were finding and how much they would allow that in normal medical practice or normal consumption and why there was never an effort to bring this to the public's attention, to do a congressional investigation in it, to challenge the pharmaceutical companies, to explain how this got in there. Nothing. They covered it up. Yeah, that's really important. I'd like to dive into it, Gary, and and to proceed a little bit before we got into this discovery of of massive quantities of DNA in a supposedly RNA shot, we we found similar shenanigans in other elements of the injection. So there was a there was a group of laboratories that we worked with throughout Europe, and they they published under the name the German Working Group, and I made some reports on their findings last year. And I mean these. Things that were found, there was a lot of things in these injections that weren't supposed to be there. I mean, just when you looked at chemical tests to look at the elements in there and you found rare earth metals and quite a variety of things, that there was nothing that was listed in the ingredients that would include that element. There were literally little tiny shards of metal found in these injections. So so we already had injections that that I guess you describe them as dirty, but when you're finding like cesium and 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 galadium and things like that, that, you know, those don't just, that's not dust from the ceiling of a dirty factory where they made this stuff. What What is it doing there? What was it part of? We don't know. But then and sliding ahead to this DNA. So what in, in, like, I think even if they did a great job of manufacturing these messenger RNA pegylated nanoparticle injections, I would still to make it really understandable to everyone, I would still call them a Frankenstein injection. I mean, it's just crazy no matter what, but even if we cross the many hurdles to even accept the idea of these injections. So when they take that, that vat of E. coli loaded with these DNA plasmids and they begin the process to, to purify and extract these DNA plasmids and then to straighten them out and then to use them to manufacture the messenger RNA, well, the next step is to put in an enzyme that digests DNA, a DNAase. And so that's supposed to be added to the vat. That's supposed to destroy all of the, the DNA and then purify it out. And you just have messenger RNA. Um, I don't think any amount of, I don't want any amount of foreign DNA in my body or messenger RNA, but the allowable limits are, are, are very small, like point, I think it's 0.03%. So, so they say, okay, there could be a little tiny bit of it. 35%, as you said, this is like more than a thousand times above the contamination level. And um, to speak to that, what I suspect is, is extreme malfeasance, it's very, to me, it's very hard to imagine that an industry that has made hundreds of billions of dollars off this injection, that they wouldn't have taken one of their own injections and analyzed it. I mean, that's not quality control. I mean, that's normal quality control, even if you're making spark plugs that you test every hundredth one and make sure you're it's working. So I mean, that's sort of the excuse, you know, inadequate DNA A's application and oops, there's a lot of DNA there. Um, and, you know, but again, DNA that not only can it go into human cells, but it was made to work in E. coli. 
Well, E. coli are part of our, our microbiome. They live in our digestive tract. And these pegylated nanoparticles by design go everywhere. I mean, literally every, you take one of these shots, it's in your eyeball, it's in your bowel, it's in your testicle. Um, so for sure, there's also the possibility for the E. coli in our own digestive tract to become spike protein manufacturers. I mean, we, we don't know, but the risks are exceptional. Let's add on to that one other risk that the American public was, world public was not told about. 45 years ago, I was interviewing a doctor from San Antonio, Texas. Her name was Dr. Eva Sneed. Have you ever heard of Dr. Sneed? No. No? I'd Dr. like to. Sneed was the, Dr. Sneed was the first physician medical doctor in the United States who found in her cancer patients when she was doing, and she was a scientist as well, uh, she found SV40 virus, simian virus 40. And uh, she said, well, how did they get that? Turns out they got that through the polio vaccine. So then when we had this discussion, I reached out to Maurice Hillman, H-I-L-L-E-M-A-N, who was the top vaccinologist in America, probably the world ever. He invented or created more vaccines than anyone else ever. And uh, he was he, he was he was the one you went to if you wanted to know about vaccines. Well, near his death, and maybe he was aware he was dying, he allowed himself to be filmed. And in this short film, he's being interviewed and he's, oh yeah, yeah, well, we uh, I was also working uh, uh, on another vaccine in our own company and uh, and we saw that we had problems because all the animals were dying and they were dying from cancers. Couldn't figure out why. Then we isolated this virus from African green tree monkey kidney cells. Well, by golly, that's what we were using for our vaccines. And uh, we didn't see it. We didn't discover it at that time. And uh, he said, so he went to Sabin, Dr. Sabin of the Sabin vaccine. He says, hey, he said, I'm, we were having conversations. I said, I got some bad news that all your vaccines are, are dangerous. They're killing animals. And so, and then they started to laugh about it. And they were laughing. And I'm thinking, this is very bizarre. But he's acknowledging all the different ways that these vaccines were contaminated. And he's acknowledging these can cause cancer. And then shortly thereafter, he passed away. At no time have I seen that film shown anywhere. And uh, because in effect, he's saying that what he created, these vaccines were harming other people. But it takes time, depending upon a person's youth and the immune system, which most young people in America at that time, in the 1950s, were healthy in 60s. Well, guess what? She was the first to talk about it and she was attacked. They went after a medical license. And I was the only radio program that would have her on. Now, and I did. I even had her on before I went to Excuse me, WBI, I, went, I had her on uh, WMCA, a major station in New York City. But what we know now is this. The SV40 virus contaminated the polio vaccines, and that in turn contributed to cancers. And those who were vaccinated with the contaminated polio vaccines in the 1950s and 60s, many of them have had tumors, notably brain, brain gliomas, that to this day show the presence of this virus. And although it may be hypothetical, why would SV40 40 be present and for what purposes in the COVID vaccines. And yet no one was told there's SV40 virus in the COVID vaccines. How is that possible unless someone chose to weaponize the vaccine or weaponize COVID? We know that HIV was cleaved in. We know that um, we know that of what the progenitor of, of mad cow disease, Christoph uh, Jacob disease, was cleaved in. So we know that the actual virus had genetically engineered points, and that could only have been, only have been. It wouldn't have happened anywhere in nature. In fact, the winner of the Nobel Prize for HIV discovery, Luc Montagnier, and his group at the Institut Pasteur, saw this, talked about it, say this could not have come from nature. This had to have been genetically added to this virus. Someone was weaponizing this virus. Well, it was done at the Wuhan Institute of Virology, and we were paying Anthony Fauci, lied before Congress, lied to uh, Ron Paul, oh, excuse me, um, uh, the uh, not Ron Paul, he was a uh, medical doctor also, but his son, um, Rand Paul. Rand. And uh, now he now Rand Paul is bringing him up on charges. And let's see what happens to that. In any case, have we found the SV4 virus in the COVID vaccines? So 
Uh, what we found is that um, a sequence, a genetic sequence derived from the SV40 virus is one of the four sequences in Pfizer's uh, DNA plasmids. So people are getting, uh, when they get injected, uh, part of the genetic material invading them is a genetic sequence from the SV40, which uh, carries with it that same risk of cancer that the virus does. Have you seen or are you aware your colleagues seeing what is called turbo cancer, where people yes. who do not have cancer suddenly get a cancer that goes on supercharge? It does not grow through normal uh, tumor development and metastasis. It's going so fast, they've never seen it before. And also people who had successfully been treated for cancer and were in remission, they had no cancer in their body, suddenly years, even decades later, when they were vaccinated, their cancer comes back and comes back as a turbo cancer. Have you seen or heard about that? Oh, a, a lot of it. In fact, um, one of the most viewed things I've ever published uh, was back in 2021, and um, at the World Council for Health, we have a health science committee, and and we were we were having regular meetings at that time with doctors, scientists, surgeons, uh, frontline caregivers all around the world. So it gave me a really interesting window because on the one hand, I, I could talk to doctors in countries where they could give ivermectin, aspirin, oxygen, and antihistamine and cure COVID overnight, and almost everyone. And at the same time as I was, I was talking with doctors who were wearing handcuffs as people were being injected and, and dying. Um, and, and at that time, it became so obvious that we had uh, like a bloom of cancer. I recall one surgeon in that meeting saying to me, I, I just removed what I could from a cancer in this young person. I've never seen a cancer like it. It was between the small bowel and the pancreas, but it didn't look like bowel cancer and it didn't look like pancreatic cancer. It looked like some kind of hybrid of the two. And so there were so many reports. And then, then of course, we've had great work. You mentioned Dr. Ryan Cole, who's done a great work of even explaining how this happens. We see this profound suppression of some of the, the, CD, the CD4 cells so the immune system, while it's while it's busy mass manufacturing this toxic antibody that enhances coronavirus diseases, it's diverted from doing so much of its regular work, including including fighting cancer. So back then in 2021, I I, I came out of a meeting, uh, one of the the the, the World Council for Health Health Science meetings, where I was speaking with these surgeons and others. And I remember I thought to myself, you know what? I can't even delay to write. And I literally just pushed record on my on my laptop that I had with me. And I said, folks, I got to tell you, there's like an explosion of cancer. Da, da, da. I made a short video. And strangely, it's one of the most viewed things I ever made, you know. Um, so I've tried to alert people as, as soon as possible. And the cancer rates are through the roof. Um, and like you said, you know, people that were better, they their cancer was 10 years behind them. It comes back with a fury and it kills them quick. We've got we've got breast cancer in girls in their 20s now. Like the, the demographics of dying from cancer and so many other causes following these injections is very unlike the demographic of the little bit of dying that actually happened from COVID, which was generally people 85, people with severely bad health. Now you got babies dying, children dying. You got young women with breast cancer. I saw a young, uh, I've got a young woman related to my family and she's, she's a nice girl. I think she wanted to get a job, so secretly went and took the shot that her family wasn't for it. Multiple morphologies of cancer in a 29-year-old girl's breasts. It's a nightmare. One of my closest friends, uh, her partner called me and wanted to know my thoughts about his son getting vaccinated. And I mentioned at the time, please do your homework. I've written over 30 articles on the politics and lack of good science and COVID and fully documenting everything, none of my opinion, but real facts. And I said, do your homework and then you make your choice. It's your body, your son's body. And I said, but remember, it's where you do your homework, where you get your facts. If you're getting them from Wikipedia, I consider that my opinion, all bad information. It's establishment pro pharma information. Get it from the good journals, from people unassociated. Well, they decided, and the son wanted to keep this job that he had, got vaccinated, and died within a week. Young guy. Uh, two weeks ago, I got an email from a person who I will not name, uh, but her family is 
extremely well-known worldwide uh, in the financial industry. And uh, her son's uh, son, totally healthy, young, four years old, and uh, no problems at all, was told by his pediatrician, get the shots. He got three shots, four-year-old getting three shots for the COVID vaccine. And now he has a medical condition that's threatening his life. He has to have two transfusions per week. And they've never seen this before, ever, in their medical practice. They don't know where it came from. So I, I immediately told this person when I was offering some insight, I sent him a documentary that I did. It was a 10 and a half hour webinar. I edited it into five hours of the best alternative approaches by McCullough and by all the other people, Merrick and all the others uh, who were seeing what they could do to stop the spike protein from continuing and, and how to block the other ingredients in the blood that were killing people. And I said, this is what you have. I said, but did you have your son look at the scientific literature and see there's not a single study, not one study anywhere in medical literature justifying that healthy young children with no comorbidities, no leukemia, should get these shots. They already have a zero, zero point zero three percent chance of dying. In fact, right up until the age of 60, without comorbidities, chance of dying is zero. Here's what no one talks about. Here is the deadly legacy of stupidity. And I warned my audience about it. I told them at the very beginning, understand when you have a manufacturer who excludes people with autoimmune conditions, arthritis, lupus, um, any form of cancers, any form of dementia and Alzheimer's, all these are excluded. Pregnancy, all excluded. You don't want them in the study. Why? Because if they are sick, and the vaccine makes them sicker, then that would be a justification not to use the vaccine. But only healthy people were allowed to be in the study. In spite of that, healthy people got sick and died, and the vaccine manufacturers kept that from the American public, world public. Well, who did they give the vaccine to first? The sick. And where were the sickest people? In nursing homes. Generally, it's normal life, assisted living, you're still a bit of function, have your mental faculties. You just can't take care of yourself the way you used to. And so you're in a nice facility where you have 50, 100 people and you can communicate and you play chess and listen to music. You have a, you have a normal life. It's just different from your regular life until you can no longer do that, in which case then you're moved over to a nursing home and a nursing home then into either you die in the nursing home or you go to hospice care end-of-life treatment. Well, they were giving people in nursing homes who had no COVID, but had multiple comorbidities, obesity, uh, for example, and in, in Europe in particular, especially in Italy, the most polluted area of all of Europe is in northern Italy, uh, where all the smelting factories are, coal production. And uh, plus they smoked, and so they had end-stage pulmonary conditions, obesity, diabetes, heart disease, and they gave them the vaccines. And of course, those who didn't have COVID suddenly developed COVID everywhere, in Gibraltar, in Spain, in Denmark, and um, let's see, that was, uh, yeah, it was in Denmark. They didn't have disease. They, they, they had disease. They didn't have COVID. And now they all got COVID and they died. And so we said it was because of COVID. All their deaths were COVID. And yet they didn't have COVID before the vaccines and they were still living. They were, the average age, by the way, was 81, longer than our normal life expectancy of 78.6 years in the United States. But no one investigated that. No one thought that was unusual. So I said, if you have an autoimmune condition, which generally speaking means your immune system is attacking its own tissue and you want to tame that down, you want to bring that down so you want anti-inflammatory diet, anti-inflammatory supplements, anti-inflammatory juices like celery juice, cucumber juice, et cetera. They did just the opposite. Diet doesn't matter. Supplements don't matter. Just take the vaccine. 
and how many people who did not have COVID or had no reactions to COVID then got sick and went in and had to have remdesivir, a drug so toxic, never tested on COVID and SARS. It was tested in Africa on a different virus altogether and had a 50 to 54% fatality rate. What, what group of scientists in the world would say, yeah, 50%, that means 50% might live. 50% of people taking this are going to die. You don't make any drug or vaccine based on those statistics. Yet they did. All right? Everything was wrong. And so now, what happens when you bring in a thousand, per, a thousand times more DNA than what should be there? And your DNA and your RNA with a modified RNA, suddenly you can have what a person actually won a, a Nobel Prize years ago called jumping genes. And you remember Dr. Baltimore, who was one of the advocates of this, but it was actually a woman, a scientist, I believe at Rockefeller University, who discovered this, that you can't say that genes do not cannot be altered. They can be and modified. They can be. And now we're giving the genes and every single human being who's gotten this vaccine the capacity to have their own genes change in a way that they can be manufacturing the COVID spike proteins, which then attack their own cells. Well, what if you already have an immune condition? The average American is sick. 65% of all Americans have classic diseases, including morbidity, diabetes, cardiovascular disease, cancers, dementia, and you're going to allow their immune system to reproduce at such a level their organs are going to shut down. They're going to die. I mean, who who cannot in medicine understand that? And yet, that was completely obviated by every everyone in medicine, all the media. No one's talked about it. Would you share your insights on this and the dangers of putting what is not truly a vaccine, but true, truly it is a genetically modified, never-before-tested-in-human uh, treatment that is causing devastating effects and the worst are yet to come. Yeah, that's, that's, that's so true, Gary, because, you know, people that already have a immune system dysfunction, autoimmune diseases and autoimmune diseases have been on the rise basically since the birth of actual traditional vaccines. But we'll, we'll set that aside for a moment because these injections are so much more toxic than, than traditional vaccines that uh that that the, the comparison is, is hard to make so here you have people who have an autoimmune dysfunction and then you inject them with something that causes profound immune system dysfunction i mean it's inevitably going to exacerbate their problems and and in addition to that what we're seeing is people that never had autoimmune conditions now have autoimmune conditions or or as i call them i call them quasi autoimmune because you have human cells producing an alien protein. And by alien, I mean alien to the human body. So you have human cells producing the spike protein. Well, that makes the human cell look like it's not part of your body. That puts a, a target on the cell to be attacked by the immune system. So now you have the immune system diverted by this huge mission of attacking all these human cells um, that that are pegylated with massive quantities of the spike protein, way beyond vaccine numbers. I mean, trillions is a lot different than fifty. Um, and and so you have all kinds of, I think, both in terms of immune conditions and other conditions. As long as the the the, uh, I guess we'll still say doctors. As long as the medical establishment that continues going along with this continues closing their eyes and not seeing like saying no I won't I won't look at spike protein stained tissue I refuse to look at your autopsies no I won't look at the data which is bizarre I mean that's not science that's not an open conversation but as as long as they continue to ignore what I consider to now be the number one cause of pathology which is spike protein poisoning and triggering autoimmune attack on a person's own tissue and immune system dysfunction in general as long as they ignore that, that would be like treating heart attacks, strokes, impotence, 
but ignoring atherosclerosis. They're ignoring the new underlying pathology. Well said. We're out of time. Thank you very much, Dr. Mark Trossi, a physician in Canada being attacked for telling the truth. And keep it up. We look forward to our next conversation. I'm Gary Nall. Thank you all for tuning in, watching, and listening to the Progressive Commentary Hour. Please share this program with others. Have a nice day. There's far too many of you die. You know.